Welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast. It's time to make it a great day with your host, a man that on his first day at work, on his first job ever, hid in the freezer after spilling a gigantic bucket of pizza sauce all over him. And a man who wears more eyeliner than his wife and daughters combined, Johnny Sanchez and Elias Israel. Yes, we are back. Welcome everyone to Five and Last Podcast, the Elvis Series, sponsored by John Daly's EP Boulevard Pawn Shop. If there's anything Elvis-related that you are interested in purchasing, like CDs, T-shirts, books, and autographed books. I mean, he's got Elvis autographs, clothes that were formerly worn by Elvis. I'm telling you, any kind of Elvis memorabilia that you could be interested in buying, or maybe if you just want to go check it out, that's EP Boulevard, B-L-V-D, PawnShop.com. EP Boulevard, PawnShop.com. We're having a lot of fun on this one. We've got a lot of Elvis friends and family mm-hmm. members. In fact, in last episodes, we had Bill Morris, mayor and sheriff, former mayor and sheriff there in Memphis, Marty Lacker's daughter, Sherry and Angie Lacker. We also had Memphis Mafia member and Elvis's bodyguard, Dave Hebler. Dave. And coming up, we've got Diana Goodman McDaniel, who dated Elvis, along with Mindy Miller, who also dated Elvis in the Ooh. 70s. And we've got Elvis's stepbrother, Billy Stanley. He's going to be on an upcoming episode of Life and Laughs podcast. And today, so excited, we have Elvis's private nurse who lived at Graceland and also Elvis's family member, Dakota Smith, is on the show today, Elias. So, so, so cool. Hey, what's been up with you out there in California? Man, I'm peddling masks out here. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good time to do it. It is, it is. Well, I I was walking around the other day and I used to have a tour called the uh, Laugh Anyway Comedy Tour. And so uh, I was wearing a Laugh Anyway t-shirt and I noticed three people stopped me during the day and they're like, I love that shirt. That's perfect for right now, blah, blah, blah. And then I got to the uh, end of the day and I I thought, well, it's time to put that on a mask. So that's what I've been doing. I've been uh, ordering masks and they're getting printed up and I'm selling them and all that good stuff. Cool. Tell everybody where they can go and see these masks and how to order them. Uh, Any of my socials. Just go to any of my socials and you can link it from our social. If if you're not following me, you can go to Life and Laughs uh, uh, Instagram and just uh, follow it from there. Cool, man. You so crazy. I do some stupid things quite often. Oh, and man, I, I don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> so I thought that it might be good mm-hmm. just to talk about some of our most stupid moments. From oh, time to time. how long is this segment? <laughs> <laughs> well, for example, this uh-huh. week I take vitamins a lot. I actually went and bought some vitamin E. And I didn't look that closely at the bottle. You know, I thought it's vitamin E. I didn't think about it. And so I took a vitamin E, and just after I swallowed it, I could have sworn I saw on the bottle that it said suppository. Fortunately enough, it wasn't, but it took me like 30 seconds to find on the bottle that it didn't say suppository. So I, for about 30 seconds, thought I just swallowed a suppository. I was freaking out. (laughs) 
I wonder what what on the bottle did you look that to see what it was that you thought may have said suppository? I don't even know. I'm not a morning person, and yeah. I do the I take these when I first wake up in the morning. I take a bunch of supplements, and vitamin E is one of them. And so, yeah, I freaked out, man. Oh, oh man, a <laughs> uh, couple, couple of thoughts. Number one is what about the poor soul who's done this exact thing in reverse, like gotten got gotten a suppository and instead instead inserted a vitamin E. Well, I guess with him, it's just going to work its way back out eventually, <laughs> I would think. <laughs> Sorry for those of you that are eating right now. <laughs> it does make me think of um, some stupid things that I've done medically related. I'm a type 1 diabetic since has been type 1 since I was uh, 4 years old. So all you type 2s out there, I have to, look at I got my diabetes the old-fashioned way. I was born with it. <laughs> and and, <laughs> and you know, here's the deal is I wake up at 4:35 a.m. every morning, I check my blood sugar and then I get a shot accordingly. Um, but sometimes when I'm out on the road, sometimes my timing will be off. And and I will forget. It'll be I'll be tired in the morning time, and I'll take a shot, and then I'll wake up. I'll go back to bed, and I'll wake up, and then I forget that I've taken a shot already. So I just sit there for like an hour, and sometimes I just wonder. Like I wonder if something's gonna happen to me. Like is this my last? I don't know what to do. My definition of taking shots has changed over the years. You know, like now it's just insulin shots. Like shot, 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 shot. <laughs> Man, what's it going to be like when we get old? I mean, how? You're going to take your insulin shot, and five minutes later, you're going to think it's time again. I know. That's I'm very... I'm very aware and very concerned because right now, literally, my memory is so bad right now that I can't tell you what I had for breakfast, and it was only moments ago. <laughs> You're going to need to get a checklist, something you can sign off on every day, like a nurse would have, you know, the time you took your medicine and initial it. That's yeah. What you're going to have to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to hang it on, hang it on the, uh, the, the, the wall in my nursing home room. <laughs> and we're talking about we're talking about within this year, people. Man, speaking of medicines and vitamins and stuff, here's something else that I wondered about because mm -hmm. I also take a. Uh, it's called uh, one a day. You've seen the one a day vitamins. Right. Um, it's one a day, but it's a gummy, and it says to take two gummies. So shouldn't it really be called two a day, or maybe yeah. once a day, or yeah, and, not one a day? And if they only want you to take, you know, a limited amount of them, why do they make them in gummies? Why would you make something in candy form that you want people to be limited in how many they take. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I want yeah. more and more and more. You can't, uh-uh, no. <laughs> Can you take too many gummies? I mean... If they're full of one-a-day vitamins, yeah, you're going to be too healthy. Next up is gummy painkillers. Man, can you imagine the pandemic that would be out if they made gummy Demerol? <laughs> right, right. Well, they already do that with marijuana. They always already do that with the, you really? know, the, it comes... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a big, big thing. Johnny, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm on the West Coast, and on the West Coast here, like they're, they're passing those things out on the street, and that's that's the doctors, not not drug dealers. Like I, I, I remember, there's a strong smell throughout California. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a, <laughs> when I was out there, I do remember that. <laughs> oh yeah, there's shady business going on out here, brother. <laughs> These are your top five. Top five. 
Hey, Elias, we've got here the top five things that Elvis would say if he came back today. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Coming in at number five, Elvis might say, I've been gone 42 years. Of course I want fries with that. <laughs> you know he would. <laughs> you know he would. <laughs> you know they I wonder always if say- Elvis ate a lot of fries. I never heard about if he ate fries. That's what makes me think he didn't, because you hear about everything that he ate. You know what I'm saying? They're like they, they shame yeah. Elvis food. Like they shame him for anything he ate. As if we're all you know maintaining better diets than he was. Man, I'm eating way worse than Elvis ever ate. I'm gonna tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell you that. <laughs> At least he played racquetball and rode an exercise bike. <laughs> I know, man. I know. That's the problem. I think it's just, it's a generational problem because in this generation we've got everything we can accept. You know, is, is accessible and we can do everything from our phones now. We don't have to go out yeah. to the field and do manual labor, which burns the calories. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I got number four. I got number four. Number four is this. That Kardashian show is on TV again. Where's my revolver? Because Elvis was known <laughs> for shooting TVs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see Elvis shooting out a TV every time the Kardashians came on. That would be a lot of TVs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, behind Graceland, they had a stack of these TVs that he would shoot out. They called his backyard the TV graveyard. I didn't know that. There was TVs back there that he would shoot at? He had one or two or three TVs that he would shoot up, yeah, and they would end up in the backyard before they were disposed of. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And the most famous person that he would shoot out when they came on was Robert Goulier. Goulier, I think, however yeah. you say his name. Yeah. Wait a minute, you're telling me these TVs were on and playing shows when he would shoot at them? Yes, yes. What? He'd see something he didn't like on the TV, and he'd just pull his gun out and shoot the TV. And <laughs> miraculously, the next day, it would be replaced. There'd be another TV yeah, in his Yeah, man. That was the business to get into in Memphis during that time, the TV sales business. <laughs> In fact, they have one of these TVs on display with the bullet hole in the TV screen in the museum across the street from Graceland. Wow, that's pretty cool. These are the top five things Elvis would say if he came back today. At number three, he would say, I haven't been dead. I've been starring in a series on CBS. (laughs) In other words, nobody's watching CBS. Right, right. (laughs) Just haven't seen me. I would like to believe Elvis would be acting, though, if he was still here. I think that he would have pursued more acting roles, and it wouldn't have been necessarily the sex symbol lead role. I think he would have been happy just doing anything with some substance in in the role. Yeah, I think so, too. But I also think, like, um, you know who reminds me of Elvis? For some reason, whenever I see him and he's in movies all the time, is my good friend Dwayne The Rock Johnson from the WWE. You know what I'm he saying? Huge, yeah, he's a huge Elvis fan. Is he really? Because that yeah. it makes so much sense because there's there's things I think that Dwayne does that he gets from the personality of Elvis, you know? And so it always make, it, it reminds me of him whenever I see him on big screen because he's just there's a little comedy flair to him that's like, oh, that's so cool that he's, yeah. Have you seen the movie The Game Plan with The Rock? Have you seen I, that where he's the football player? You'll have to go back and watch it because in that movie, yeah. he is a noted huge Elvis fan. His whole apartment, his high-rise deluxe apartment has Elvis. Elvis memorabilia. 
memorabilia throughout. Oh. And there is a segment in that movie where he actually plays guitar and sings to the little girl in Elvis' song. I, I, right. I can't remember what song. If it's Love Me Tender, I uh-huh. can't I don't remember the song. Yeah, that's, but, so that yeah. is the one where the little girl knocks on his door. He's the dad. He didn't know she existed. Yes. And they, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which exactly is what would have been helping Elvis today, too. Like, you know how many people would be at his door saying, no, 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 you had me. You, you didn't know you had me. <laughs> that happened when he was alive, believe it or not. Uh-huh. There were several fraternity suits. All of them were proven to not be true, of course. Yeah. That was before the days of the DNA, and you could uh-huh. just say it. You really had to prove that that wasn't your child. Hey, you, listen, know? you can't blame people for trying, man. Come on. I, I'd want to be Elvis's kid. <laughs> I wondered at one time if I was Elvis's kid. Really, I was, my mom <laughs> didn't go to Graceland. She told me too. a story. Yeah, she told me a story about seeing Elvis at Graceland, and so I always wondered, just in the back of my mind. You know, <laughs> hey, but I will like tell you this about The Rock. The Elvis costume that he wore, he had a whole Elvis jumpsuit that he right. wore in that movie, and it's ginormous, man. Yep, Imagine The be. Rock put this on. It's on display at Graceland in the museum across the street as is well. Really? You can see just how huge The Rock is, the legs on on the pants of this thing. You know, you have to go check it out. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, number two, number two. Elvis would be saying this right about now. He would say, I can't believe I missed the McRib sandwich. <laughs> Of all things to be gone for. That didn't come out in time before Elvis had passed away, unfortunately. I used to love the McRib sandwich when they first came out. And I have to be honest now, I, I don't like them anymore. They're not, because that's not really ribs, y'all. I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it may be ribs, but we're not sure what it's the ribs of. <laughs> yeah, that dead skunk in the stuff. Yeah. I, mean, so, I don't know. No, it's not that bad. They're okay. But it's more so the barbecue sauce to me that tastes good and then once that wears off and you just get down to the meat you're like that's that's not meat that's right. not ribs <laughs> right yeah you are right because everything else is is what it says it is you know on there the buns those are buns those are that's sandwichy type buns the sesame seeds are on there you get down to that rib and it's investigation time <laughs> now speaking of ribs i will tell you somebody that has the best ribs that i've probably ever tasted is at marlowe's in memphis yeah, you need yeah. to go get you some marlowe's if you're in memphis it's about a mile down the road from Graceland. There's the Elvis booth there. You can hang out in the Elvis booth and eat some of the best ribs that you've ever tasted in your life. You will love Marlowe's. Yeah, I'm excited about it because I've never been to Marlowe's, and I know they're they're one of the sponsors here for this Elvis series on our podcast. And, John, you've gotten me into so much of this Elvis stuff that I'm so excited to go to Memphis with you and, uh, and hang out and eat all the ribs and come back at least 10 pounds different. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, there's so much to see and do that first time you're there, you're not going to see everything. You're not going to be able to see and do it. And you're just going to be blown away of this world that is right there within a mile or so. The whole Graceland experience. And then knowing the people that we know now and being able to know about the areas around Graceland that Elvis would hang out or take his motorcycle rides. There's several houses that he bought around Graceland for members of his entourage. He, uh, in fact, bought Linda Thompson a house that's just around the corner from Graceland. His dad lived on the next street. There's so many things around Graceland that if you do your research, you can go around and check out, and it's really fascinating. That's so cool. Here we go. This is the number one thing that Elvis would say if he came back today. Hey, I've been gone 42 years, and I still look better than Keith Richards and Steven Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> hey <Hey-o! laughs> 
Now, wait a minute. I, I know Johnny agrees with this, but me and Johnny disagree on one of these members. Now, Keith Richards, yes, Keith Richards looks bad to me, but both of those look bad to Johnny. I don't think Steven Tyler looks bad. I, oh, I, man. I, he looks like Barney Fife in that fish movie <laughs> with a cartoon type thing where he became a fish. That's what he looks like. I'm not saying that's not what he looks like. Okay, Barney Fife may be a little bit, but I'm saying that he has he has some good qualities. He's got his hair. He's got you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of Eddie from the old Iron Maiden T-shirts. Remember that character that was back in the eighties? <laughs> Like he's turning into Eddie, and and I know Eddie wasn't an attractive man, but he was an intimidating man, and I feel like Steven Tyler is intimidating. Perfect teeth, perfect hair, 123 years old. Come on, 123 pounds. Also, is not going to be very intimidating, man. He's, to me, he also looks like Jamie Foxx character Luanda. That he hi, you know. You can't tell me he's not intimidating. If you woke up, you didn't have your glasses on, your eyes are kind of blurry in the morning time, and you saw Steven Tyler walking through your house, you'd be intimidated. You'd be like, there's an evil think, spirit. I would think it's like Amy Winehouse or somebody walking through my house probably as a ghost or something. I mean, he, <laughs> and I still wouldn't be scared. Man, I'd be terrified. I'd be terrified. <laughs> or, if he, or he jumped in your bed and bit you in the neck. That would be scary. Now that I can see him doing. I can see him doing. Doing that. <laughs> anyway, agree to disagree. Coming up next, Letitia Kirk Hanley, private nurse to the king, Elvis Presley. E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop, owned by John Daly, is the largest dealer of Elvis Presley memorabilia in Memphis, Tennessee. Over the past 22 years, the E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop has amassed an impressive collection of memorabilia, ephemera, souvenirs, and original Elvis-owned items, specializing in buying, selling, and trading all Elvis Presley memorabilia. E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop offers artifacts from the amazing career of Elvis Presley and has locations inside Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard as well as a Tupelo location inside Relics Antiques. Shop online at www.epblbdpawnshop.com That's www.epboulevardpawnshop.com or call 901-949-1970 that's E.P. Boulevard Pawn Shop. Live from a 74 VW Beetle, Life and Laughs Podcast. She was the nurse for the most famous entertainer the world has ever known, Elvis Presley, and she even lived at his famous home, Graceland, in Memphis, Tennessee. She joins us live from Memphis on the Celebrity Hotline. Welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast, my friend, the very nice Letitia Kirk Henley. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Good morning. How's everything going for you there with all that's been going on the last few months with the quarantining and so forth? How's that affected your life? Oh, just like it is all over the world, it's just crazy. You never know what the next day is going to burn it's just uh <laughs> yeah we just yeah. have to go with the flow though as Elvis would say you got to do what you got to do <laughs> i 
Love it. Now, Tish, are you from Memphis? I'm originally from northwest Tennessee, Obine County, okay. Union City, Tennessee. Okay. But I've been in Memphis since 1960. I went to nurses training in college here. That's where you grew up, though, is in, in Union? Right. Union City, Tennessee. Yes, sir. How old were you when you went to work for Dr. Nick, Elvis's personal physician? Oh, my gosh. I was probably about 23, 24. Oh, you were just a baby then. I, I can barely remember those years. <laughs> <laughs> Now, how long did you work for Dr. Nick? I worked at that medical group, which he was a practice in for 50 years. Oh, wow. Wow. I assisted Dr. Nick from, from 1967 until he left in 86, and I continued to stay there. Tell us a little bit about Dr. Nick. What was he like working for? Dr. Nick was a, a very intelligent man. He was a very gullible man. He was a great Southern gentleman. He had love and respect for everyone. He just he was an awesome man. He was a good friend. He was my boss. He was a good friend. Sometimes it could be my worst enemy, but, you know, that's with everybody, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Tell us how you met Elvis Presley for the first time, how that came about. Well, I was working at the medical group. Elvis bought the ranch, the Circle G Ranch, and he bought, you know, six horses, six saddles, six trucks, six of everything. <laughs> and so, you know, he was like a kid. He had to wear off the new on the new toy, so he had ridden horses all day long. And so late that afternoon, he called George Klein, who, you know, was his friend from high school and was a disc jockey here, remained friend forever. He called George and he said, George, I've got a sore butt. I've got to have a doctor. He said, I can't stand up. I can't sit down. I can't walk. So at the time, Barbara Little was working as a receptionist at the medical group. George and she were dating at that time. So he called Barbara. Barbara took a poll around the clinic. Dr. Nick says, well, I'll see him, but I'll have to go after I see my patient, you know, this afternoon. And so he did and took care of his sore butt. And I don't recall, three or four weeks after that, Elvis had another medical issue. And so he called and uh, Dr. Nick says, well, you know, I did your favor before. He said, I'm a partner in this practice. And he said, you're going to have to become an established patient for me to be able to see. So we set up a time for an appointment for him to come in and, and get a physical and all this. And, you know, I'm as you asked me a few minutes ago, I'm just this young country girl. So I'm taking care of Elvis, and I was assisting everything in the room. And he was sitting in the chair in the corner. He was talking to me, but he was looking down at his knees. <laughs> and, I mean, I took the big, giant step. I just walked over to him, and I pulled his chin up. I said, Elvis, if you talk to me, you look at me. So we went ahead with our assessment and I was I was taking the blood I had just drawn from him to the lab and they paged me to go to Dr. Nick's office and I thought, oh, that's not good. I'm probably going to get fired. <laughs> so I'll never forget. I walked around his office and I knocked on his door. Come in. Well, that didn't sound good either. So I opened the door and he said, what did you say to Elvis? So I proceeded to tell him. Then he looked up at me and he said, he likes you. Listen, that was one of the sweetest songs Elvis could ever sung to me because I still had a job. So that's how it all started. And then Elvis knew that I had two daughters. We lived all about 20 five miles from Graceland, worked in Midtown. So when Lisa would be in town, I would take the girls out there after I worked all day to play with Lisa at 9 o'clock and have to go back home. So Elvis kept trying to get us, you know, you just you just need to move down here closer, you know, so Lisa and the girls can play together and you'll just be down here close if I need you. And also this goes on from 68 to 72. In 72, the world was in a mess like it is now. The financial thing was crushing. My husband was in building houses. That was bottoming out. And we were practically living on my 
salary. So I came home from work one day, and my husband was sitting at the bar in the kitchen. He says, babe, come sit down. I need to talk to you a minute. I got a job today. Well, that was wonderful. And he said, well, I'm, but I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do some traveling. And I thought, oh, gosh. So here I'm going to be working, have the babies by myself, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So then he says, well, Elvis hired me today, but we've got to live on the grounds at Graceland. So <laughs> Elvis' song, My Way. Okay, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> So we had just we had just built a new home. That was a big decision. I had to take the girls out of their school, out of their church, out of their neighborhood. They weren't going to wow. be living in a neighborhood, you know, there at Graceland, and mm-hmm. going to be around all these guys. And it took some soul searching. Yeah. But anyway, it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. So that's how it started. Describe Elvis the person to us from your perspective, because we we know about the legendary performer. Tell us about the person. Well, he was kind. He was gentle, southern gentleman. And, you know, living there at Graceland and being there where he's when he's home, he's there all the time. I did not really realize the magnitude of the experience I was having. Some people, that sounds like, well, you know, she's really a nut. But... <laughs> We were family. It was like if your brother walks in your house unannounced Mm -hmm. or if you come home from work and your brother's sitting at your kitchen table. That's the kind of relationship we had. Of course, there we did not lock anything. So it was not uncommon for me to come home from work and him be sitting at my kitchen table or, you know, (laughs) be sitting in the den or sitting in the swing out front. And he loved Graceland. He was he was at peace there. It was a comfort zone for him. And he had control, but uh, he was funny. Uh, he was witty, probably one of the most spontaneous men I've ever known with conversation. Probably one of the most intelligent men that I ever took care of in my life with only a high school education because he read a lot or we read a lot to him. Now, Elvis had nicknames for a lot of his close friends. What was your nickname? Well, he called me down there one day. He said, I finally come up with a name for you. And I said, Elvis, my mother named me X number of years ago. No, (laughs) I have my name for you. You're going to be Tishina. And I stood there and I put my hands on my hips. I said, Elvis. I'm not a pole dancer, Tishina. <laughs> I'm not a pole dancer. So, of course, he fell out laughing, but that's what my nickname was. It Tishina. Was yeah. That's awesome. How much time did you get to spend with Elvis? And when you did, what are some of the things you guys would talk about together? Oh, my gosh. I spent many, 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 many hours with him. I took all my vacation every year, went on the road with him, which was four weeks out of the year. Didn't have a first family vacation until 1978. Uh, Many, many hours sitting up there in his room or the bathroom or in Lisa's room or in the meditation garden, just sitting, talking and doing fun things, watching TV. He would start out reading something and then his eyes would get so tired that you would have to read to him. And just some, some great things. I have to tell you a reading story. People probably think this is crazy, but he had a massive bathroom. And in that bathroom, there was a chair and a stool. So we were sitting in there one night, and we were reading, and the commode kept trickle, 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 trickle. So he pulled the drawer out on the cabinet, and he got a pistol out, and I heard you laugh. And so he <laughs> proceeds to shoot the tank on the on the commode. Well, of course, I jumped about three foot in the air. Oh, my God. Uh, so we just sat there. Nancy was working that night, Nancy Rook, the cook. Mm-hmm. So the red line rang, which was his in-house phone. Mr. Elvis, Mr. Elvis, we got rod of running at the chandelier. <laughs> Nancy, don't worry about it. I just killed a commode. They're going to bury it. So that was just, that was a normal, a normal day. 
Wow, I can just imagine some of the experiences there. So you say Graceland was just like an everyday home, but were there constantly men and the bodyguards and people coming and going? How did all that work? There was not a lot of that. One of the guys was there 24 hours a day that worked their 24-hour shift. Mm Mm-hmm. That was just if he wanted to go somewhere, or if he wanted them to go get him something, or if he just wanted to talk to them, or if he wanted to ride the bikes, or whatever he wanted to do. But as for a gang of people that was there in the in-crowd, the only time that was congested was right after a tour or right before a tour. Because, you know, some of the guys lived various places, so they'd come in a day or two ahead of time, you know, to get everything ready. Because there was a lot of preparation in getting, you know, his clothes ready, everything in the suitcases, everything packed up, make sure mm-hmm. it got the water and all that good stuff. So that's the only time that there was a big congestion of the uh, Elvis gang, I will call it. So it was really just like an, an everyday home. It was. It was. You got to travel with him on the road. Did you sit and watch the shows? Did you stay? What was it like seeing Elvis in concert? Oh, it was awesome. It was probably about half and half, I guess, that I would get to sit out in the audience. When we were in Tahoe or Vegas, I would definitely get, up, get to sit out in the audience. A lot of the rest of the times, I'd sit on a stool back behind stage on the side of the stage. Just as a, a comfort piece, I guess, there wasn't mm-hmm. any particular reason that I had to be there, but it was not comfortable to sit up on a stool, you know, while he does a show. Yeah. And, you know, I still could get excited about his music and everything, but his traveling was, I don't know how he did it as much as he did, as long as he did, because I'm going to tell you, it wore you out. We, uh, we were in Vegas. We weighed his jumpsuit after he got off the stage. It weighed eight pounds more than it did when he went on stage. Oh, wow. So you wow. stop and think about the electrolytes that that guy lost. And that those eight pounds mm. of fluid. Oh wow! And then many times there, it was two shows and occasionally three shows a night. So you go figure that up. Yeah, for like every day in a row for maybe two weeks at a time too. Right. No days off. Yep. Yeah, yeah, usually fourteen days. Oh my goodness! And then you know when he got off the stage, it wasn't over. He's still pumped up. He's still in the entertaining spirit. So he's got to he's got to relax. He's got to get himself back together. Then he's got to eat something. Then he's got to sleep. And then he's got to get up and do it again. Yeah, for many years. I mean, that's very grueling. Yeah, very grueling. Did you ever get to hear him sing or play just hanging around the house? I, I just because I can't imagine what oh, that would be like to just sit down in in the same room hear Elvis sing. Well, you know, I'm not a stupid person, but <laughs> that was just normal. I mean, sometimes we'd be walking through the house and he would go in on the first floor. He would go in, sit down at the piano. Sometimes I'd sit on the couch. Sometimes I'd lay in the floor and he would just play and sing and, and carry on. But that was just a normal. I knew it was a special time in my life. I'm not that stupid. But that was just a normal part of a day at Graceland. It just, I just uh, can't imagine that. I cannot imagine just sitting down and having a one-on-one <laughs> time with Elvis Presley because he had such a wonderful have, voice. Absolutely. Just his voice even without anything, or his voice just with the piano, or his voice with the organ. God gave that to him and hasn't given it to anyone else. Mm. Well, you and I, we were eating dinner at Marlowe's one time with a group of people. I was fortunate enough to hear you telling some stories, and you told one about calling Elvis something very funny. I don't know if you recall that story. I believe it was Suck Titty Baby, maybe? Was that was that yeah. what you called him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Tell us that story. Yeah. Well, there were just sometimes when he would, you know, he was human and I was human, and he would kind of get on your nerves, and he'd want you to do something you didn't want to do or go someplace. You, you know, you have to figure. I've worked all day long, eight to ten hours at the medical group on my feet, walking, taking care of patients. Mm-hmm. And I come home, and I'm not always ready to go do something. So he would pull up if he didn't get his way, and I just, I just call him a titty baby. <laughs> you know, pull you, pull you big, pull your big drawers up and stop being a titty baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, I loved hearing that story because that's something my mom would call me as a little kid, and I have never heard anyone call anyone else that ever. And so when you said that, I was like, wow. <laughs> he told me one time when I called him that, he said, you know, you're the only woman that can get away calling me that. <laughs> so I guess, that, I guess that was pretty special. How funny I was have, Elvis? I tell, I have, oh, my God. He was very funny. And he was so spontaneous with his funnies. I have to tell you, I might say a few little words you might have to bleep out, but that's okay. We were, now I've worked all day. I've worked all day long at the medical group. So I come home and I put on my warm up clothes. I go down to Graceland. He's sitting up there in the baby's room with his robe on. I said, Elvis, we'll have nothing of this. He thought two weeks before tour I could get 20 pounds off of him. I said, I've worked my butt off all day long. Get your ass up. Get in there and get your warm ups on. We're going to hit the racquetball court. <laughs> so we did. So we get out there and we're playing racquetball and I had gotten a little angry, you know, that I thought, you know, feeling sorry for myself. You sit on your butt all day long today, been in the bed all day long today. I've worked all day. You're still not ready to play. So I was making him run. I was backhanding the crap out of him. And we both were very aggressive players. Well, it was so hysterical because I heard this thud. I turned around and looked and here said Elvis Presley flat on his ass. And I said, Elvis, what the sh- are you doing sitting down there? He immediately looked up at me. He says, see, Sheena, I just found out my balls don't bounce. Now, you name me a comedian, a comedian that can come up with that, and I'll give you $100. I mean, he was just so spontaneous that just unreal. So it's kind of funny because when they had the memorabilia in the racquetball court, it was just different for me because it didn't have the feel of, you know, the racquetball court. Yeah. So then after they moved everything over to the museum, I wanted to go through the racquetball court, you know, by myself because I knew I'd have a meltdown. Yeah. It's kind of funny because I was in there and, and it was very, very emotional, but I had not thought about that story. And so I walked inside the court and I was standing there looking around and it popped to me and I got hysterical and I thought, I hope they don't have me on a monitor or a camera. <laughs> I think I've lost my mind because I was just laughing. But the last part of that story was on me because we both were down on the floor, two adults, hysterically laughing at what this gooberhead had just said. I peed my pants. And I said, Elvis, i got to go to the trailer. I just peed my pants. Get your ass out of here. It'll take the finish off of my court. So it, it, was, it was a two-way street. That's hilarious. So that's just some of the experiences we had. That's just some of the, you know. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, tell us about any of the times that you can remember witnessing Elvis's generosity towards others and even to yourself. Oh, my God. Oh, listen. I learned early on with Elvis Presley, you do not mention something because you will get it. <laughs> so many people around him knew that. So they, they were, I call them beggars. Yeah. So they knew how to manipulate him to get things. Mm-hmm. But the, the grace I get from that is he knew those people that were in it for the right reasons and those were, that were in it to get what they could get. So with that, I settled my hard feelings against 
some people with their actions. Yeah. But uh, we were sitting there. We were sitting in, in my trailer one day. No, no, I'm sorry. We were sitting in his bedroom one night, and they had an uh, ad that came on TV for microwaves. Now, this was when microwaves first came out in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. So here this big microwave was. This man and woman, they went and he went and bought a ham, and she bought a corninware dish. They washed the ham. They put it in the corninware dish. They stood in front of the microwave for 15 minutes, and they take this delicious-looking ham out. So the next day, I come home from work, sitting in my kitchen. At my kitchen table is Elvis Presley with a corninware dish with a ham in the refrigerator. When they first came out with microwaves, they were monsters, these mm-hmm. huge monster microwaves sitting on the cabinet. So guess what we did? <laughs> we washed the ham, we put it in the corninware dish, and we stood in front of that microwave watching that ham cook just like these kids. <laughs> I had more fun, just, but that's just the way he was. He just was, um, he, uh, I had a Oldsmobile station wagon. Of course, that was perfect for Deborah and Donna and Lisa and me taking them places. Mm-hmm. So he was sitting outside one day and he saw me coming in from work with it. So a few days after that, he called me down there and he said, well, we're fixing to bury that old blue station wagon. I said, what are you talking about? That's my pride <laughs> and joy. No, he said, I've ordered you uh, a black Cadillac. He said, they don't have one at Bud Davis. They don't have one at Madison. He said, but it's going to come in from Little Rock. I said, Elvis, why used to mean it? I appreciate that thought. That is awesome. But I work in Midtown Memphis. I'm a nurse. I'm not a Cadillac driving person. Thank you, but please, please, no. I, I, I would not be comfortable in that. No, I would not be comfortable in it. Now, are you sure? I said, Elvis, I'm positive. I like what I've got. It serves my purpose. So two or three days after that, I come home from work, and I was tired that day. And really, I was hoping that I didn't get called to the house that night. Well, guess what? <laughs> I got called to come to the dining room. Well, when you went to the dining room, he had either hired someone, fired someone, or had some news to talk to us about from the colonel. So here I go into the dining room. He's standing at the end of the table. Several of the guys were sitting around the chairs. Put his arm around me and he said, I've got to tell these guys something. He said, I bought this little girl a new car. And said, the reason I bought her a car is if she refused one that I had bought for her. And as long as she's worked for me and he held up a nickel, she has never asked me or hinted to me for one bloody nickel. Oh, wow. Well, of course, I melted. Mm-hmm. So we go outside and here sits a black-on-black Grand Prix. So he tells Charlie, go and get me the blue light. So Charlie goes and gets the blue police light. <laughs> so Elvis is down at Tishina. I have to drive the car first. So we get in the car. We drive, go out in Graceland. Beautiful car. Black on black on black. But he told me, he said, now the reason I got that is with your black hair and your black eyes, I can't see your ass in that car when you come in. <laughs> So, okay, so we go, we're driving down the expressway. Elvis knows two speeds, zero and as fast as it'll go. <laughs> we were going as fast as it would go. <laughs> so we're meeting oncoming traffic. Well, people kept flicking their lights at us. Well, you know, the dimmer switch was in the floorboard. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah, I remember those. Our first so car he, had one. He's stomping the floor over there trying to dim the light. He said, Tishin, if we got to take this mother back. It don't even have a dimmer switch on it. I said, Elvis, with the technology it's got to have. I said, pull over and let's look at the manual. And we did, and guess what? The dimmer switch was on the column. <laughs> he found the dimmer switch. Oh, I can just imagine. Oh, it was hysterical. I, you know, I didn't think I'd ever get to drive my car because I thought we was going to crash and get killed. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even think to look down to see how fast we were going. 
<laughs> I was coming home from work one day. Of course, I was in my black-on-black car. A couple of days after that, he called me down there. He and Ginger were there in the bedroom. Well, when I went upstairs, the door was shut, which was unusual. So I knocked on the door, opened the door. He had the cover spread back, and there was this white mink coat laying on the bed. He said, you know what? I'm tired of not being able to see you when you come in in that car, so I got you this coat so now I can see your ass in that car. <laughs> So he got me a white mink and leather coat. Oh, just crazy wow. Crazy he would, you know, do things. Just Yeah. I know that Elvis was very protective of people close to him, and he was also an avid gun collector, so he gave away a lot of guns. Talk about mm-hmm. your experience with Elvis's protectiveness of you. Well, one night, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning, I was walking back to the trailer. And about the time I got even with the office back there, I heard this... Well, I took off running. I back tore the door off the, cause I, I really thought it was a fan, to be honest with you. Yeah. I almost tore the door off the front of the trailer, and Elvis would always give me time to get back there, and he'd call to make sure I'd gotten home. So when I went to the phone, I was, <laughs> he said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I said, well, his, it was his horse, Son. I said, Son just now scared me to death. I said, that's the time I got even with the gas tank. He let out a snort, and I said, I thought somebody would about had me. So that was the first experience of me getting a gun. So I got a little small gun that I was instructed not to come to Graceland or leave Graceland and go to my house without it in my pocket. Now, you mentioned in your book that Elvis had what you called a concert get-ready mode. What all did that entail? Well, he would go on a real strict diet. We would exercise. We would do a lot of reading, do a lot of praying, and he would just kind of go to the extreme. He would go to the extremes when he got off the road, but just eating and eating and eating and eating. And then when he was getting ready to go on the road, he would go to the opposite extreme, which was not the most healthy thing to do, of really cutting back down to practically no calories and doing a lot of exercising. Yeah, and that the older we get, because I've experienced that, there's the older you get, it's yeah. so much harder to lose that weight. You don't oh, get the is. results that you used to get, you know. And see, he didn't understand that. He never understood that. Mm-hmm. He just thought he could do like he did 20 years prior. Mm-hmm. I'll get that 12 pounds off, you know. Okay, buddy. Talk about Lisa Marie and your relationship with her and, if, and, and any memories that maybe you have of Lisa Marie there at Graceland. Oh, well, see, she and my two daughters, Danny and Joey, Billy's two kids, they were just uh, mm-hmm. five little heathens. Of course, that's his <laughs> little girl, Dina and Jimmy. They just yeah. ruled the roost around there all day during the day. And they just, uh, the, the movie The Omen came on and they saw it advertising on television. Mm-hmm. So I said, you need to take the girls to see that. Well, I really didn't want to because I knew it was going to be pretty scary. So I kind of <laughs> waited till late thinking that they wouldn't have a seat. Well, guess what? We got the very front row seat because all the rest were taken. <laughs> yeah. So if you've ever been to a movie theater and sitting in those uncomfortable seats with three little girls jumping all over you, it's not very <laughs> much fun so i let him i let him have it about that said, yeah you knew exactly what you was doing by pulling that little trick on me <laughs> now your daughters they were really close to lisa have they spoken to lisa since elvis passed away yeah my youngest daughter and lisa talk mm-hmm. they, they were closer than the oldest one not not that often anymore you know she's got a lot of things going on in her life well, Elvis loved animals, didn't he? What, what were some of the ones that you remember being some of his favorites? All of them. He, <laughs> he loved all of them. Of course, you know, early on he had the chimpanzee. And then, of course, his last dog was Gitlo, the, the red chow. Mm-hmm. The red chow wasn't really fond of Elvis. He, he, he would, he would get a little bit nippy with him. Chows are known to, to be that way. I had a girlfriend that had one that did not like me <laughs> at all. <laughs> oh, well, I had, I can tell you one better than that. We had a, a Keyson. 
her name was Geisha. Mm-hmm. We never, ever figured it out. She couldn't stand Elvis. So he could not sneak up on us because she could hear him coming or sense him coming. And she would get on my youngest daughter's bed and start just barking like crazy. <laughs> he never did anything to that dog. You know, like some men will kind of rough him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. We never, ever figured out why he did not like Elvis. But she did not. She couldn't stand him. <laughs> I'll tell you another dog story. He and I were sitting out. I had a swing in front of the trailer. We were sitting out in the swing one afternoon. And he gets up and he's getting ready to go home and he had on a warm-up suit. It was the pants that, you know, have the snaps down the side. Yeah. So he and I were just standing there talking. Well, Danny and Joey had this frumpy, ugly little dog named Peanut. So we're standing there looking at each other and Elvis says, Tishina, that dog just pissed on me. Oh, my God, that's terrible. So he pulls the leg of his warm-up suit out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I said, well, Elvis, you can't take your your pants off because his aunt lived in the trailer in front of us. I said, Aunt Nash will see your naked butt trying to hobble down the driveway. He said, get me a knife. I'm going to fix that dog. He's not going to piss on anybody else. I'm going to cut his nuts out. I said, time out, time out. I said, Elvis, you can cut his nuts out all day long, and guess what? He can still piss on you. So. He had a little story in anatomy. So Elvis did get pissed on. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm picturing this in my head. That's hilarious. <laughs> it was hysterical. It was hysterical. It was. It was. Uh, now, I also read in your book about a time that you did something special to Elvis's hair. Tell us about that. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, we were sitting there one night, and somebody had this big fro hairdo on, curly, curly hair. Which was popular in the like 70s. It was very, very. And I said, well, I can fix that. I said, I, I'll, I'll roll it up one day real tight, and we'll see what you look like. Well, let's do it now. Let's do it now. And then we're talking about probably 1 o'clock in the morning. I said, I don't yeah. want to wake the kids up. I'll have to go find the rollers. So I'll go back there, and I find little hair permanent rollers. Mm-hmm. And I found some dippity doos. So I went back, and I dippity dooed his hair. Put the rollers in it, got my hair dryer out. Now, this is what I'd love to have a picture of because this was a hair dryer that you put this bonnet on your head and then it blows up with the air. Boy, could I have yeah. sold some pictures of that. So here he sits with this on. Our phones came out way too late for us. So he yes. gets, we get through drying his hair and sat down in there and I picked it out and here is this fluffy black hair just everywhere. Well, we both got so tickled it was unreal. He said, you know, I don't think this hairstyle is for me. <laughs> so that was that was the end of his pro look. What an experience, though. I mean, actually doing Elvis Presley's hair, is that something you did quite often? Yeah, he, he couldn't do his own hair. So some of us had to do it all the time. He just probably didn't want to do it, but no. Mm-hmm. But I can um, see how special he was. He he was so thoughtful. He was. Uh, I had to have some surgery, and I was in the hospital, so I couldn't go on tour with him. And so late that afternoon, the nurse at the hospital came in, and I'm still trying to wake up. I just come in, come out from surgery, and I thought, oh gosh, if something bad happened to me, why are they? Why are they trying to arouse me? What you know? The nurse mind kicked in. Yeah. Elvis refused to go on stage till he talked to me that night. So Joe oh, wow. Estavita kept calling. Finally, he told Tommy, he, that was my husband, he said, mm-hmm. you've got to wake her up enough for her to say something to Elvis because they keep doing the intro and the intro for him to go on. He refuses to go on till he talks to her and make sure she's okay. We've told him she's okay, but he's not going to go till he talks to her. So that made me feel pretty darn special. Yeah. Sounds like you were pretty much part of the family. I was blessed. Very blessed. We were driving down Elvis Presley one afternoon, and there was this little girl pushing her bike because she had a flat on it. Mm-hmm. Well, he told me, he said, get out and go talk to her because she might be scared if I got out. So 
So I went and talked to her and I said, you know, this is Elvis. He lives up the street from here. I said, he's going to, we're going to put your bike in the trunk of the car. And we're going to take you home. Don't be afraid of us. You just show us how to get you your house. And we did that. I went to the door and talked to her some man, I'm assuming it was her father. So we turned around and went back. At that time, the store was called Western Auto. He bought her a pink bicycle. We went back to her house. The little father came to the door. Elvis asked him to go get the little girl. He said, honey, do you get allowance every week? Yes, sir, I get a quarter every week. Now, a quarter was a lot of money back then to a kid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He said, okay, I've got you this. He bought a beautiful pink bicycle. I've got you this pink bicycle, and it's all yours. But for you to earn this, you've got to save up your money and get your tire fixed and then give it to somebody that doesn't have a bike. Oh, wow. So who else would have thought of doing something like that? Yeah. And and the thing about Elvis, he didn't want notoriety for that. Right. This day and time, they won't. Well, you need to get all three channels here, and let's get them all online, and let's, you know, no. Mm-hmm. No, not him. And he did those type of things so many times so that time. a lot of people would not right. ever, will never know about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you remember where you were when you heard that Elvis had passed away? It had oh, to be traumatic. It was my first day back to work after having had some surgery, and my husband called me, and he said, baby, you need to get home right now. There's an emergency. I'm thinking it's burning. So mm-hmm. it takes me about 20 minutes to drive from Midtown to Graceland. So fortunately, I did not know until I got to Graceland because I'm thinking, you know, because Vernon was having some heart problems. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I found out about it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think well, everybody in the world, even if they weren't Elvis fans, know where they were when that happened. Did you attend the funeral? Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Matter of fact, from that day on till after the, the funeral and a couple of days after that, we could not get out of uh, Graceland. I mean, it was just uh, something like I've never seen before in my life. So, yes, I was there the whole time. Well, now, I know a lot of Elvis fans may not realize, but you and your husband, Tommy, you guys designed the Eternal Flame Monument that is at the head of Elvis's grave even to this day. Tell us about how that came about. Yes, well, he and I were just sitting there talking one day, and we were talking about, you know, we want to do something that's going to be forever for Elvis. We want to do something that's special that's going to be for, for us, for him, for the fans, for the family. We want to do something. And so we pondered around on several different things. You know, you talk about a a framed something to hang up somewhere. And I said, but you know, with that, they get dusty, they get dirty, they get damaged. So anyway, we called this uh, monument company in Columbus, Mississippi. We decided we wanted to do something that we could put on the grave. We got that approved by Vernon. So with the company down there, my husband and I and this man down there, we designed the Eternal Flame. Wow. And then we, some of the people that have their names on there did participate in some of the money. And mm-hmm. so we had it done. The only thing they had to do different is that they had to put the cap on it because the big winds would blow the flame out. Right. But right. other than that, it's exactly like it was when we designed it. Do you ever go to Graceland anymore? Have you been? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't go for years. I couldn't do it. I would drive down there and I just I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. But yeah, I go a lot and uh, you know I take fans down there and uh, so well, I, I, I can do it now. I got I got grown up. Now I imagine at first it was probably a lot of sadness and heartache, but now when you go, being so much time has passed, is it a feeling of you appreciate all the memories now? You're able to do that after a certain amount of time, you know. So what kind of thoughts go through yeah. your mind as you go back to Graceland? Oh, all kinds. Number one, how blessed I was, how fortunate I was to have a friend like him, a close friend like him. We were sitting there one night watching TV, and somebody famous died. I do not recall who it was. And Elvis said, he got really, really quiet. And I said, Elvis, is is that bothering you? Or why is that bothering you? 
Yeah, you know, Tushina, when I've been dead and gone five or ten years, they'll say Elvis who. So on his 40th anniversary, I went out in my backyard and I pointed up to the heavens and I said, okay, sucker, you look down at Graceland 40 years later and then you say Elvis who. Mm, even he to would, this he day. He would never believe it to yeah. this day. What would you want the world to remember most about Elvis Presley? Just that he was a, a total picture of a southern gentleman his love for everyone was so deep his presence was just magnificent his voice was like nothing you'll ever hear again and just the kindest man that ever was and you know i i have to say this i call it the elvis closet that i stayed in for 40 years with writing the book because for about three years after elvis died there was a tv channel that followed me around they blocked my car in the parking lot they'd sit in the office waiting room then try to block me in at Graceland but I could not talk about that first of all he was my patient second of all he was my dear friend and I always felt like had I gone first of course he would not had a reason to exploit me but I think he would have kept that private too and I did well in 14 a friend of mine from the UK had been trying to get me to come to his there's an event at the uh, Dolan house every year and I said okay you've worn me down I'm going to go this year however I'm going to be the church mouth and that is when I had my eyes and ears and heart opened up to the fans. They wanted to know about Elvis the person. Forget the drug, sex, rock and roll and women. They mm-hmm. wanted to know about Elvis. And I thought, you know, you're 70 years old. You need to get off of your butt and say, take some notes and get a book out. And it was a very emotional journey because, you know, it just took me back to so many places that I hadn't been in so many years. Mm-hmm. So I cried a lot. I prayed a lot. You know, I'd think of something and write a note down. So it was it was a difficult journey. But now that it's behind me, I am so grateful. I am so thankful that I was able to do this because the fans are seeing a side of Elvis that I saw. Yes. I love the book. The name of the book is Taking Care of Elvis. Let everyone know where they can get the book. You you can get the book from Amazon, or you can get the book directly from me, or you can get the book from John Daly. He's got the Elvis Pond Shop in Memphis, and he has mm-hmm. a store online. After I got all my notes down and I'm all ready to get something done, well, I couldn't find a publisher because all the publishers wanted me to have a ghostwriter. Well, I wasn't going to do that. I said, I'm not going to have somebody write my book, put 400 pages of bull crap in it that never met him and doesn't know him. I'm not going to do yeah. it. I just, I'll just keep my notes. So finally, I was sitting here one night and I picked up a cookbook that was printed here in Memphis. So I thought, well, maybe they know someone that will do this for me. So I called the guy. I was very fortunate. Elvis had control of this. He was the vice president. So he asked me a bunch of questions and he, we talked, we talked. And he said, well, can you and your husband meet me at the office tomorrow at 11 o'clock? I said, yes, sir. So we went over there. It just so happened to be at the time Elvis died, he was working in Arlington as an EMT. He was called down there because so many people were passing out after Elvis had died. So he was yeah. called to transport him to Methodist Hospital. And uh, the guy that I was talking to, his daddy called him and said, son, I need you to bring me another ambulance. They're passing out like flies out here. And so that's how he, he said, well, let me tell you my Elvis story. So that's how it came about. And he's become a, a dear friend. He said, you know, my sister-in-law was her secretary. So she had typed everything for him. And he said, Letitia, the only thing we've got to do is shoot your book and shoot your pictures. He said, you've got it all done. It's, it's ready to go to print. <laughs> and there was only, made me feel happy. Only one thing that had to be changed on the very last page, you know, I've got a picture of Elvis from behind. He yes. put that in a collage. And I said, oh, I said, no, no, no. I want this to be the very last page at the bottom, the end. He said, <laughs> that's brilliant. I really like that. 
<laughs> I think Elvis would have got a kick out of that too. <laughs> he would have. He would have. <laughs> he would have. At this point of the you show, what I, I wanted, told him what? What's that? What would you have said to him? I would have told. He was he was always laughing and saying that Ronnie Tut knew more about his ass than anybody because he yes. watched it all the time. And I just want to say, okay, Elvis, the whole world is seeing your ass now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he would have loved it. He would have loved that. <laughs> yes, he would have. He would have loved it. You don't know me like that. At this point in the show, I want to do something where we get to know who you are personally. And so I have just a couple of questions here, more about you, more so than Elvis. Okay. okay. For okay. example, what was your favorite TV show as a kid? Well, I grew up and we, did, I, we didn't have a television. Really? See, that's how come Elvis and I were so close. We did yeah. not have a television. We didn't get a television until the late to like 55. So mm-hmm. I didn't watch a lot. Of, my, one of my favorite things was Dance Party, though, you know, being a teenage girl. Yeah, but When sure. we got a TV, it, it was... Dance party. Tell us what your biggest pet peeve is. My biggest pet peeve is a liar or a thief. Mm. Tell us. Fine if you don't steal or lie. Tell us because being from the Memphis area, this is something I always ask people in Memphis. What do you think is the best barbecue in Memphis? The best ribs in Memphis is Marlowe's, without a doubt. Love Marlowe's. Marlowe's on Elvis Presley. Their ribs, their ribs and brisket is to die for. I class their barbecue, their pulled pork. I think it's about equivalent with with the others around town, Interstate and Corky's. I think the pulled pork is all just about in the same, but they don't touch their ribs or their brisket. I agree. Every time I'm in Memphis or even close to Memphis, I stop by Marlowe's. <laughs> I love it there. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's great. And the owners are awesome. Some people. They are awesome people. Tell us what your best childhood memory is. Being a very good basketball player and loving every oh, minute of it. I didn't know that about you. So did you play in high school? I played in high school and I played in college. <laughs> Where did you it. go to college? Where did you play in college at? At Siena College here in Memphis. It's no yeah. longer here. It was out on Poplar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than Elvis, what is the biggest celebrity that you have met in your life? Oh, my goodness. I was very blessed. I met uh, Jerry Lee was one of my patients, Ronnie oh, wow. Millsap, B.J. Thomas, a uh, very famous opera singer, Marguerite Piazza, several, uh, uh, Jackie Fargo is the only one I can think of, uh, wrestlers, and Jerry Lawler, uh, and then many governors and, and mayors. Just, uh, I was blessed. You said Jerry Lee Lewis, he was uh, one of your patients. Right, absolutely. Wow, and he's, he's one still of my around. Now. Oh, is he really? Lives right around, yes. Mm-hmm. Next time you come to Memphis, you need to go to his, his ranch, where he used to live, is open now. His son does tours down there. Very interesting. Has a I lot have, of other stories. I have seen you post and several other people post about that is something that I definitely definitely want to do next time I'm able to get down that way. Well, you um, call me and I'll make it happen. Well, I appreciate it. I'm definitely going to do that after all this quarantine stuff and everything dies down for sure. <laughs> I want to know also, do you like to cook? Oh, yes. What kind yes. of things do you cook? What, what are you an expert at cooking? Oh, my goodness. I won't say that I'm an expert, but <laughs> I'm a cake baker. I'm a pie baker. Uh, I bake a mean ham, vegetable soup, chicken and dumplings, chicken and dressing. Of course, I had to learn how to make hamburger steak since that mm. was one of Elvis's favorite, that and meatloaf yeah. and all the different vegetables. And I'm just an old country southern cook. Yeah, I was going to say I love all that I home southern I'm a cooking. Big, I'm a big candy maker at Christmas time, and it was kind of funny, another Elvis story. I know you're talking about me, but this is me and him. I was in the kitchen. I was making some peanut butter. I make a peanut butter mixture, and then I dip it in chocolate. Uh-huh. So I'm mixing up my peanut butter. 
butter stuff. So he comes in and he, you know, what are you doing? And so then he goes over and he gets him a spoon out of the drawer. He ate half of my peanut butter candy before I could get it made. <laughs> He sounds like just a big kid. That's the kind of things that I always would do with right. my mom. <laughs> right. I know you listen to Elvis music probably, but what's your favorite type of music? Uh, gospel. Oh, yeah. And that's probably because that's, you know, off, off stage, that's what he did 99% of the time was, would sing gospel songs. That's how he would wind down and just like at the house, you know, if he sang something 99% of the time, it was something gospel. I'm in awe that you were able to just be there and listen to him play the piano and sing a gospel song like that. I mean, the, the power and the feeling that he sang those songs with, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. What is the best advice that your current self would give to the young you? Is that they just need to follow in his footsteps, to be honest, be kind, be caring, and be giving. Yeah. All right. Finally, this is what we call, we have a dumb question wheel. This is our final question. <laughs> we spin a wheel, and we've made up some really dumb questions that we've put in here. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> Here we go. Your question is, if you had to live in just one room at Graceland forever and eat only one meal all the time, what would it be and who would they be? <laughs> that is dumb, I know. <laughs> well, it would be upstairs in the bedroom because we spent 95% of the time off the road there. The meal would have to be, he would probably come down and slap me if I didn't have peas, mashed potatoes, and hamburger steak. And a glass of tea. <laughs> and we would probably have to watch uh, Mighty Python or um, one of those stupid movies he watched all the time. <laughs> Pink Panther. Yes. <laughs> because if I was in that room and didn't do that, he'd probably come down and slap me. <laughs> now, did Elvis like sweet tea? Because I know that's what we grew up on. We we lived yes. on oh, yes. sweet tea. Oh, yeah. Hey, South. <laughs> South likes sweet tea, the North likes that bitter stuff. So we grew up, I mean, I would make tea. My mom taught us how to make our own tea <laughs> very early, and we I would put two cups of sugar in the tea in each pitcher wow. every time. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. <laughs> yes. That's what we grew up on, though, uh, sweet tea, and That's it was very sweet. It was a lot of sugar, yes. Again, the name of Tisha's book, Taking Care of Elvis, you can get it on Amazon, and we'll post some links on our Facebook page as well where you can get the book. I just want to thank you, Tish, for being with us today and sharing your life with us. Just amazing memories from such a wonderful person. I just want to thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you. I'm always eager to share Elvis. I was yes. very, very blessed. And, uh, and you know, I didn't get to meet the fans when I was on the road with him. So now I'm getting to meet and know the fans and it's really nice. I'm really enjoying it. And the fans are some of the best people, the best, you know, pure-hearted they people are. in the world. Yes, I agree. Tish, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. It was wonderful. Wonderful. I love your stories. All right. Thank you. Coming up next, guys, exciting. We have one of Elvis's relatives here with us to play Elvis Trivia. For 45 years, Marlowe's Ribs and Restaurant, located at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard in Memphis, has been providing the best in Memphis hospitality to locals and visitors from around the globe. Elvis Presley himself loved Marlowe's, and you can even sit in the Elvis booth where he himself ate. Marlowe's has taste that will satisfy anyone's palate, including their award-winning barbecue pork ribs, beef brisket, barbecue shrimp, or their famous 
famous Italian-style barbecue spaghetti. You can even try the King's signature peanut butter and banana sandwich, grilled on white bread and served with two slices of bacon. Or the Elvis burger, crisp bacon, smoked ham, and American cheese. A burger fit for the king himself. Along with visiting Graceland, visiting Marlowe's for a meal while you're in town is a must. Located only one and a half miles from Elvis's home, Graceland. They will even pick you up in one of the Elvis-inspired pink limousines from some of the close-by hotels, shuttle you right to Marlowe's, and drive you back when you're finished. So next time you're in Memphis, make sure you stop by Marlowe's at 4381 Elvis Presley Boulevard, or you can order online at marlowesmemphis.net or call 901-332-4159. Come enjoy the ultimate dining experience at Marlowe's. Recorded live, where there's such cities as Bald Knob, Greasy Corner, Wiener, and Goober Town, Five and Laughs Podcast. Welcome back to Life and Laughs Podcast on the Celebrity Hotline right now. Playing our trivia game, our Elvis <laughs> trivia, is somebody related to the king himself, Elvis Presley. <laughs> on the phone, we have the grandson of Billy Smith, who we've talked about several times during our show, the cousin and also probably the closest friend that Elvis had during his life. This is his grandson. He is the son of Joey Smith, and he is also currently the summit fighting championships bantamweight champion there in tennessee welcome to the show dakota smith yeah Yeah. (laughs) 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 how's it going dakota man it's going great how are y'all now are you still training right now yes i am they opened up the gym about a month ago and i've been training getting ready looking for a fight in october or november yeah because yours is one of the only sports that is kind of re uh like reorganized in started doing it again right yes sir that's good how about how about sparring have you i mean did you have to sit out that first few months of sparring what was that like uh i did it i got sick a couple times because <laughs> yeah the cardio is it wasn't there because you know uh-huh. training I, I usually try to keep a high-paced cardio and i was out of shape but i'm back in shape now it didn't take long to get me there my coaches and my team really pushed me and we're back to pushing hard and training real hard so we have good sparring sessions yeah because most people don't realize how much cardio it takes to be not only a boxer but an MMA fighter probably five times as much because of the amount of moving. You're constantly moving. Yes, sir. It's a lot of movement. Defending takedowns, shooting for takedowns, defending submissions, kicks, knees, elbows, fists, everything. It's really in high intense uh, sport, but I love it. I love it. Yeah, it encourages me. I'm 47. All right, when I say that, I know you hear that as I'm 47, young man. <laughs> but I'm, I'm 47 and have have always been a little athletic and that kind of stuff like that. But man, I see you guys and I'm like, yeah, these. I mean, it encourages me to you know to hit the gym, to go run, to do that kind of stuff like that. But then I find myself just eating chips and, and salsa while I'm watching you. So 
I don't know if that helps or not. <laughs> hey, I do that on the side when I'm watching other fighters too. So <laughs> you, you know what? But you still you still got a thing called metabolism, and you're burning those calories all the time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we know your dad Joey got you started, I guess, in, in all your karate when you were younger. Tell us how that came about and how you got interested in it. Oh uh, well, my grandfather. See, when I was young, I, I watched fighting with my grandfather and my dad, and you know, at a young age, you know, three and four, I didn't realize exactly. I knew Elvis, but I didn't know he did karate. And, you know, my dad was telling me about it. And my grandfather was showing me pictures and, and movies and stuff where he would do karate. And I was really interested in it. Well, my dad started training in jujitsu and he started coming home and teaching me the little things that he learned here and there. And as a young kid, I just picked up on it and I would watch movies and, and videos of Elvis doing karate moves and stuff. And I would practice them and try to learn. And when I was about 15, 16, around this age, I was like, dad, you know, we've been studying it forever now and I want to advance it you know I want to try to get better I want to do this this seems really fun like and I'm really entertained now I love it you know and he was like okay well let's get you in a gym so I got in a gym and and I trained in Memphis Judo and Jiu Jitsu and started training and learned a ton of different disciplines between wrestling Judo Jiu Jitsu boxing Muay Thai karate all of them and I just took all of them and formed my own style and I fell in love you know madly in love with the sport and I was like man this is what I want to do for a living you know this is what I want to do until you know I'm too old to do it <laughs> well, cool. man I would like to do it I mean I, I love the art of it but I just couldn't take the getting hit in the face part of it <laughs> you know <laughs> Did you have any second thoughts that first time you just got a really good punch to the face? No, actually, unfortunately, I was I was like, you know what? I don't know why I'm. <laughs> I was like, but I really I really love this. I was like, I got punched in the face one, the first time, and I was like, that hurt, but for some reason I like it. I don't know why. But <laughs> yeah, well, that's I like I got to continue to do this. I got, that's, that's, as I went on, I started learning how to move my head out of the way and block punches, of course, because some of yeah. them kind of hurt, but. <laughs> Jeez. Well, that's a benefit to not uh, be afraid of it, you know, and to, to be like, ah, I don't mind this so much. Exactly. <laughs> hey, who's who's one of your favorite fighters on the scene right now? If I had to choose a fighter right now, he just retired, but it would be Henry Cejudo. I okay. really like his style. He's a really, he's, I mean, he's just great. He really is. But I like a lot of different fighters. Israel Adesanya, Cody Garbrandt for sure, Dominic Cruz. I love these fighters. They're so disciplined and they just have really good styles. And I take all their styles into consideration. Yeah. And I try to match and, and do the same things they do, you know? Yeah. Do you prefer going to the mat or staying on your feet? I'm comfortable anywhere the fight goes. If someone wants to go to the ground, we can go to the ground. If they want to stand up, we can stand up and trade. I'm comfortable anywhere. It doesn't matter to me. I, I, I just love to fight. How are you on submission holds? Do you have a, like a go-to submission hold? I've been known for my triangle chokes, but I know a lot of different submissions. I just, I've practiced the triangle a lot, so that's one of my favorites. But also, I like Kimuras and guillotines. Definitely rare naked chokes. Uh, arm bars. I'll try slick uh, ankle locks every now and then when I'm feeling myself for it, but sometimes I try to stay away from those. Those <laughs> tend to get you punched in the face yeah. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You know, That's where and, I would and, be out. <laughs> right. Me and Johnny, so you'll know this, me and Johnny, we, we kind of grew up, in, at least in the teenage and after years, and so we, we even lived together right, you know, at the end of high school and stuff. And, and so back then, you didn't know if someone could fight, and even if you're, you yourself, you had no idea if you could fight. Everyone just talk a bunch of smack. You know, I think that's the big difference between now 
with your generation and my generation is back then you had to get into a fight to know if you had any kind of natural ability to fight. Now, right. man, if you just get in a fight on the street, I would never get in a fight on the street anymore because there's killers. You guys have trained. You guys, you know, <laughs> like back then it was just a bunch of idiots just talking smack. And, and when it came down to it, people just kind of backed off. You know what I'm saying? Now it's like, well, I guess I'm dead. <laughs> And you wouldn't know walking up to Dakota because Dakota, I met you at one of John Daly's events and just yeah. the nicest. He just seems like he would be this meek, gentle person. But then I saw him in the ring on the videos on Facebook and this man, he's like, he's intense. He can get intense in that <laughs> ring. <laughs> yes, sir. It, it, you have to fuck. It's an on and off switch, definitely. It's, it's, it's something. But for me personally, uh, I don't street fight at all. Um, yeah. I try to be disciplined but I, I like the competition in my head I only want to fight the best and to be the best you have to fight the best and train yeah. with the best so that's my main goal in life is just to fight the best and be the best and one day become the best that's the goal uh, to get to the UFC and, and hold the UFC belt that's definitely what I want since I started this that was the goal was to get there and, and fight people like Jose Aldo Peter Yan all these all these guys Peter Yan just won the belt uh, a couple of days ago I'd love to fight people like that the yeah. Uh, I only want to fight the best, and, and the best fighters are in the UFC, and so that's where I want to go. How old are you now? I'm 19 years old. Oh, oh yeah, man. You're going to get there for sure. You're, you've got all these years ahead of you, and uh, healthy years, too. You've got some good young years. That's seeing what you do. Brother, you're going to get there, and we're going to we're gonna try to grade grub when you do, because we're going to be like, hey, you remember us, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I always uh, remember the ones that are loyal to me and support me. That was something my family, my grandparents, and my family has brought me up on. Was remember the ones that are there for you and, and be the ones that are loyal to you. So I, I, I definitely remember everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about the support of your grandparents, Billy and Joe, who are the nicest, sweetest people in the world, and you can just tell the love they have for you. Tell us about their support for you. Oh, man, they've they've supported me since I was little. <laughs> they've, I mean, it's crazy. Every fight I have, I, I go up to my grandmother's house, and I hug her, you know, the day before I go, I leave, because I stay with my uncle, because I fight in Tupelo, and he lives down there, so I stay with him, and I leave, and I always go up there and hug him and tell him I love him, and that it's going to be okay and every time they're shaking and crying and they're all nervous and I'm like it's going to be okay I promise <laughs> everything will be okay and they, they just get so nervous <laughs> like it breaks my heart to see them that scared but they know that everything will be okay and they're always right there that every time I'm weighing in if I'm walking down the fight every, they're right there every time I look if I'm in the cage and it's going to the second round I look down they're right there they're always right there I always see them and I always know that they're always going to be their support yeah. No matter what, they always have been. Has oh. Joe ever tried to climb into the ring and say, "Get off my baby"? Has she ever? <laughs> She's mentioned it. She's mentioned it a time or two. <laughs> like, if you start getting beat up in there, I'm just know I'm coming over the top, and I was like, okay, "I'll be all right." <laughs> I can see her doing that. Well, they definitely love you, and you can see that just when they talk about you. So I love your family. I love how close all you guys are. You mentioned your uncle, Danny, I guess is who you're talking about. Just super great people, your whole family. So, And, and you seem to have that same part, manners, charisma. So we definitely wish you the best in all your MMA ventures, and we'll be there supporting you. If we can't be there, we'll be watching you on Facebook for sure. Thank yeah. you, sir. It means a lot to me. Okay, well, we're going to get into 
our trivia game. This is Elvis right. Trivia. And Dakota, you're going to be playing for one of our listeners to win a Life and Laughs podcast t-shirt. The listener is Lisa Simon. She is in Franklin, Tennessee. That's who you'll be playing for today. So are you ready for some Elvis trivia? I'm ready. All right, here we go. What degree black belt did Elvis have? Uh, I believe he had his ninth degree black belt. I have heard two stories. Now, we just spoke with Dave Hebler, who said he had his eighth degree black belt. But I've heard someone else that said just before he passed away, he got his ninth degree. So I'm not really sure, to be honest. I heard ninth degree is where you are able to teach people at that level. And so I'm not sure if he got to the ninth or not. I'm going to say he did for the sake of this poor woman that's trying to win a (laughs) T-shirt. It was was definitely between his seventh and ninth. I know he was way above the ranks, and he was up there. So he was definitely from the seventh to the ninth rank, I know for sure. Yeah. That's close enough. (laughs) Yeah. All right. The second question. Mm -hmm. In what year was Graceland declared a National Historic Landmark? And I'll make this multiple choice. Was it 1990, 1985, or 2006? Oh. That's a tough one. That one's a tough one. Uh, let me think about that for a second. I want to say it took 2006. 2006 is correct. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Which was surprising to me that it took so long. Maybe it had to wait a certain time limit. Maybe that was why it took till 2006. Here we go. Number three, Elvis only endorsed one product in his lifetime. Was it Pepsi, Southern Made Donuts, hmm. or Mountain Valley Spring Water? And I will say, that's kind of a trick question there. I don't know the answer mm. to this one either, so I'll be learning on this one. <laughs> what were those options one more time? Was it Pepsi, Southern Made Donuts, mm. or Mountain Valley Spring Water? Ugh. Oh, man. This one's, this one's got me. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say, I'm just going to take a guess and say Pepsi. I'm not sure on the answer of that one. Now, that was his favorite drink, I've been told. And Mountain Valley yeah. Spring Water, of course, was the water that he took on tour with him. But the correct answer was a Texas-based company called Southern Made Donuts back in the 50s. Okay. That's the one I wanted it to be. I was hoping I was hoping it was those donuts. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keep going. We're going to say he was close enough. It, Pepsi sounded like Southern Made Donuts to me. That's what you meant, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, because you know he was holding a Pepsi when he was eating those donuts, man. Yeah, you can't have, can't a, donut have a donut without, without a Pepsi. Pepsi. No, yeah. no, you're gonna get that sugar rush. He's got to, he's got to get that blood sugar real high. <laughs> Okay, here we go. In August of 1953, Elvis walked into the offices of Memphis Recording Services, or better known as Sun Studios later. He aimed to pay for a few minutes of studio time to record a two-sided acetate disc. One side with the song, That's When Your Heartaches Begin. What was on the flip side? And again, I'll give you multiple choice. Was it My Happiness, That's All Right Mama, or Old Shep? I believe it was That's All Right, Mama. You know, I would have thought that, too, because that was actually the first single that he cut for recording purposes under contract with Sun Studios. But the correct answer is My Happiness. Okay. My Happiness. Okay. And my Oh, he just said it. I heard he said My Happiness. Yeah, so. he did say it. <laughs> 
<laughs> he did say that. See, we've got that we've got that uh, that Zoom lapse in time where people freeze up and then they come back on and say the rest of what they were trying to say. And I think that's what happened right there. <laughs> hey, Johnny, can I ask you a question? When you were reading the question, you said this was the first acetate disc. Is that what you said? Uh-huh. That yeah, sounds they... like an injury. That sounds like a... It's a I, I pulled my acetate disc. Acetate disc. Yeah. It sounds like something my... went wrong in the rear section. Yeah. Dakota's pulled his acetate disc many yeah. times in the <laughs> MMA ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> let's go to our final question that will win Lisa Simon of Franklin, Tennessee, a brand new Life and Laughs podcast t-shirt. All right. I'll come to me with a bonus question. Here's the bonus question. Hey, what size shoe were those blue suede shoes what size shoe oh man Mm, I think they were 11. Yes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I wear a 10, so I didn't know. That, <laughs> I, just, I figured correct. he was like three inches taller than me, so I was like, well, he may yeah. have a little bit bigger foot. Okay. Elvis was awarded two medals while serving in the Army. One was for expert markmanship. What was the other for? Was it for cleanliness was it for sharpshooting or was it for tank skills? Hmm. I think it was sharpshooting. I definitely know he liked his guns from the stories my grandparents told me. <laughs> <laughs> sharpshooting yeah. is correct. You have just won Lisa Simon of Franklin, Tennessee, a brand new Life and Laughs podcast t-shirt. Awesome. <laughs> Hey, Dakota, do you have any message for your fans and those people following you right now? Just, you know, with all this going on, I, I want everyone to be positive and keep their heads up. And I'm going to continue training, and Team Dream's going to be back soon, hopefully by the end of this year. And hopefully I have everyone's support, and uh, I, I want everyone to be praying and staying positive as far as everything going on. So I just want everyone to be safe out there and make sure, you know, we're staying safe and, and yeah. doing the best we can and keeping our heads on right with all this going on so i'll just be praying for everyone and hopefully by the end of this year team dream will be back in the cage and we'll get another fight going and get another win hopefully yeah we'll be we'll be looking out for you man we'll be rooting in your corner yes we will i appreciate it a lot it really means a lot to me Tell everybody where they can follow you at. You can follow me on Facebook. I have Facebook. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is dream underscore Smith 10. Or you can follow me on Facebook and uh, just look up Dakota Smith. And you should see me on there. My profile picture is me holding the belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And be sure to go and look at the videos of his fights. I've watched them. Very talented. I'm looking for big things from you in the future, my friend. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. I can't thank you enough and we'll check back with you after your next fight the next win i should say and then maybe a, another belt hopefully along the line that's what i'm looking forward to good brother sounds good thanks so much dakota i appreciate it buddy yes sir thank y'all for having me tell your family we said hey i will for sure what a great show today hey thanks to our guests letitia kirk henley and dakota smith also thanks to our sponsors ep boulevard pawn shop that's epblbd pawn shop.com and marlowe's where all the real Elvis fans eat and hang out on Elvis Presley Boulevard a mile from Graceland. Hey, thanks to our MC Rick Viper also. Be sure to join us next week when Diana Goodman McDaniel will be with us. She, of course, dated Elvis in the 70s, in the mid-70s. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Elvis, it's going to be good. 
Till then, be sure to subscribe to the podcast as soon as it ends so that you will be notified when each new podcast is released and it helps us to continue to bring you new episodes each week. And like and share the podcast on social media for a chance to win a brand new Life and Last Podcast t-shirt. Just tag us and we'll see you did it and we'll enter your name into the drawing. Hey, and until our next episode, remember to live life, love everybody, and and laugh laugh always. So Elvis's ex-girlfriend, huh? That's going to be interesting. I'm glad it's not one of our old girlfriends. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, JoJo, let's get Elias' girlfriend next episode. <laughs> JoJo, you're going to be fired if you do. <laughs> <laughs>